Hey movie fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Uncharted Media Podcast. This week, we're trying something different. It's something we've been contemplating doing for a while now. It's going to be a new sub-series within the Uncharted Media Podcast that we'll do from time to time if you guys like it. What if? Basically taking scenarios and twisting it on its head of what if this. Um, so this week, we're going to talk about Probably one of the biggest what-ifs in the world of entertainment today. What if Marvel never sold its film rights in the 90s? So what if it never sold Spider-Man to Sony? What if it never sold Fantastic Four to X-Men to Fox? What would the landscape not only of Marvel look like today, what would the landscape of the entertainment industry look like today? Because we think it's a much bigger deal than a lot of you might initially just think of, oh, no MCU. Yeah. There's a lot bigger deal than that. But before we get into all that, Josh, how you doing tonight? Hey, buddy. I'm doing good, man. Uh, yeah. No, I'm, I, I, I felt like there was a joke to be had there, but I guess not. Anyway, um, <laughs> I'm doing good. <laughs> a little crazy today, apparently. <laughs> um, thank you for bearing with us, people at home, as I took the week off last week. Uh, we yeah. went up, Heather and I went up to St. Louis in Illinois for a wedding. It was a nice vacation. Um, and thankfully, the movie news in the world really didn't light the world on fire like I thought it might. Just because yeah. knowing my luck, I was just like, there's going to be Man of Steel 2, an Uncharted trailer, the Spider-Man trailer. We got none of that. But we did get some stuff. But before we get into any of that, um, I didn't really watch a lot. I watched some on my flight um, there and back. I, on the way there, I watched Bill and Ted 3, but I've already seen that. It's a good airplane yeah. movie. On my way back, though, I did watch something I hadn't seen before with um, Chadwick Boseman's 42, because I'm a big Ooh. baseball fan. It's really hard to talk about this one, because it's a, a person we hold very dear with Chadwick Boseman and a, a larger-than-life figure with Jackie Robinson. That being said, the man that is Jackie Robinson, at least to me, I think deserved a much better movie. This movie is not bad by any stretch of the imagination, but it is not befitting of the name Jackie Robinson. It's It falls very much into cliched sports movie kind of quick. And oh my God, does it have breakneck pacing of like, we got to get him in a baseball jersey as quick as humanly possible. Chadwick is fantastic. Like... He's awesome as Jackie Robinson. I just would have liked, I don't know, to dwell on certain things more. Like, at times, it just feels very paint-by-number sports movie. There's one yeah. outstanding scene, though, which is, like, he was getting verbally abused by the manager of the other team. And, obviously, he can't fight back. And so, uh, he basically goes into the tunnel. Not in the dugout, but even further, he goes into the tunnel and just explodes because no one can see him and that's a sign that we don't often talk about with Jackie Robinson of so often history just likes to gloss over of he just took everything in stride and never got mad or yeah. upset because he was a perfect person no I'm sure Jackie had those moments where he just explodes with rage but understands the gravity of the situation that he's in and so I just in that moment I understood and felt the character more than any other scene in the movie and I thought Chadwick was phenomenal in it the other person that I really really liked and it's maybe it's just my um, diehard baseball fan in me, but John C. McGinley, aka Dr. Cox from Scrubs, mm. as the radio announcer for the Brooklyn Dodgers, who his you could tell John C. McGinley put in a lot of work as his radio calls 
sounded exactly like the original guy that he's supposed to be based off of, and he was outstanding. The rest of the movie was just kind of fine. It, it is, unfortunately, too much cliched sports movie for me. It wasn't bad, but I think the legacy of Jackie Robinson could have had a better movie, I think. Yeah, that's fine. That's why oftentimes, anytime anybody's like, we're going to make a movie about the real life of this person, I always get a little bit nervous. Um, Bohemian Rhapsody? Uh, yeah. Um, the Bohemian Rhapsody's not terrible. It's sugar-coated yeah, it's, is the biggest problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I watched Luca um, this past week, and I kind of liked it. That movie that Disney doesn't know if they can show in China or not. That type of movie. Yeah. But so here's the thing, too. Um, Pixar's not doing anything new. (laughs) That's what I've heard about this movie. You know what I mean? Like, it's, there's, they're not doing, okay. Let me rephrase. Story-wise, Pixar's not doing anything new. There's some shots in this film that I know my brain is telling me are, is animated. But what is on the screen does not look like it's animated. And it's it's mind-blowing. With that being said, they're not doing anything new with the story. But that's not a bad thing. It's still like, I still like tear up at the end. And like, it still hits you right in the feels like it's supposed to. It's it's great. It's really great. Um, also, I found out that the Demon Slayer movie was released on Funimation today, the day we're recording this. So, you better believe I'm doing that after we after we after we after we English. After do we you re- speak it? <laughs> after we record, wow, that week took way too much focus to say that. Um, and after this, I'll probably be watching Batman: The Long Halloween Part One, which also boy. dropped tonight. That's also Ooh. in the voodoo. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to. This Long Halloween is one of my favorite Batman stories, and I think they'll, I think they get the feedback that they got from Batman Hush. So let's hope they don't repeat mistakes, because the last thing I need is, uh, we know who the killer is in a Long Halloween. Just stick to that. That's a good mystery there. Yeah, there's no need to change anything. Um, something I have been doing a lot of recently that I don't normally do is reading. Um. Yeah, I know, right? I don't read a lot. <laughs> I've been reading too, but I, I, I don't know. I try not to act as surprised. That's <laughs> <laughs> so rude. Does it have a lot of pictures in it? No, actually, like it's a book, book. Ooh. Um, but when I tell you the contents, you're gonna, you're not gonna be surprised. Is it so, the history uh, of Vikings? Uh, no. Although I did, for whatever stupid reason I had, listened to uh the. Stephen Hawking's book, A Brief History in Time, that's all about, like, time theory and stuff. And I was like, I don't know why I'm casually listening to this, but here we are. Okay, Um, cool. (laughs) But it is a book I found off of, like, a Facebook ad. It's, like, it's called – I actually brought it because I I bought the physical copy because it was so good. Um, (laughs) It's called uh, Pilgrim – hold on. There it is. Pilgrim. It's by – Harmon Cooper. Yeah, I can't read that backwards. <laughs> you can't read that backwards. I can't, I can't read that backwards. Um, but uh, it's basically like if The Witcher took place in like ancient Japan. Hmm. So it's cool. I like it. It's. Um, I've, I've, I've read two. 
Uh, I finished a book <laughs> written by one of my coworkers. Actually, it's a horror book. Let me double check to make sure I'm getting the title right because it's. I wanted to make sure it's not like the place between the trees, but it's the town between the trees. The town between the. Tr- the town beyond the trees i'm looking right at the book as i'm saying this and i'm still flubbing it um really really good it's kind of got a twin peaks x-files vibe to it of it's it's the introductory chapter of a larger saga that he's working on that i'm super super amped for uh also wanted to shout him out because he also listens to the podcast um if you guys want to check it out it's pretty pretty light read i think it's only a little over 100 pages so even josh could read it it's oh bro <laughs> you kidding me i read this in like two days and it's like Holy crap. 500 pages how was your I staycation read... by the way oh uh, it was cool it was uh it was busy it was busy busy like it's one of those like let's do a staycation all right cool so we're doing this today and then after that we're doing this and then this so it was like Okay, <laughs> I guess we're not relaxing on this vacation. But you okay, cannot breathe. Whatever. Yes, absolutely. You ready to talk about movie news? Let's do it, my dude. So kicking us off, there's a weird movie news topic of just like, a, well, hell froze over, I guess, as Steven Spielberg has finally, finally come over to the dark side that is the streaming wars, as it seemed like for a while there, Steven Spielberg was like the most staunch like anti-streaming there was as he I feel, feel like a few years ago he was like there can't be any Netflix or Hulu movies up for Oscar consideration well I guess Netflix must have backed up a truck full of money at this man's house because now Steven Spielberg's production company company of Amblin Entertainment is now working with Netflix to develop future film projects now it's also important to note that Amblin will still be producing movies for Universal. That deal is still on the table. So Universal and Amblin are still like this. But Amblin is going to be spending some of those nights in someone else's bed, which I think is interesting. Considering Spielberg is still one of those like old school directors, this is just so surprising to me. I know it's not him specifically signing on to a Netflix movie, but... Come on, it's his company. Of course he has to have some say in this. You'd think that, wouldn't you? Um, oh, you think differently. As, as much as, uh, from what we'll discuss later, sometimes the person that the company is most known for doesn't really have much of a say in what happens to the company. Um, I don't know, man. I mean, it's. I, I'm going to take this as one of the best directors of all time saying... Hey, just because I, you know, have been a little off my game lately, or you know, just because I've haven't done a lot lately, maybe it's time to try something new, try something so on a different format, see see what other stories I can tell. I got, that's what I'm thinking this as. I mean, Netflix is making making moves, but time will tell whether that those moves end up being good or bad for it. Uh, because it's my mindset, and this is immediately where my mind always goes for stuff like this amblin works hand in hand with universal obviously we said that that partnership is still um strong as ever universal and amblin work together on several theme park attractions throughout time there was a jaws ride screw that ride it traumatized me for many years it's gone now (laughs) it's where it belongs (laughs) i I'm sure it was a great ride if I went on it now, but it traumatized me as a kid. Um, 
that's a that was one that Amblin and Universal worked together on. E.T. That cannot leave Universal. Steven Spielberg has expressed expressed. He's forbade people from Bruh. getting rid of that. We cannot <laughs> we speak. We are bold. We got no words today. Shotgun man. on the struggle bus tonight. Um, but Amblin and Universal, the theme park side of it, have a pretty strong relationship. I would be very curious if this will extend to Netflix. If Netflix is e- able to make a connection with some studio and invading the theme park area, I think that could be really, really interesting avenue there. And we've already seen glimpses of it as Universal has their annual Halloween Horror Nights, which, quick side tangent, tickets are now on sale for Halloween Horror Nights, and I kind of rejoice in the street as we're finally going to start getting some slow trickling down of official news of Jack the Clown is back, tickets are on sale, they haven't announced Frequent Fear, which is like the season pass for it, of like being able to go multiple nights, but um, I bring up Halloween Horror Nights because that's where Universal and Netflix have worked together before. They've done two years already of a Stranger Things house, um, and then there's rumors this year that they're doing a Haunting of Hill House house. If Netflix wants to continue to test the water for theme parks, which could be a very interesting avenue... They already have a potential partner with Universal. Universal does not care who they work with. They've worked with Warner Brothers to do Harry Potter. They're working with Nintendo to do a Nintendo area. I could see them working with Netflix to do... I don't know how you'd incorporate into a theme park, but maybe like a Witcher area. Josh can finally have a Witcher How to Train Your Dragon crossover. Oh, don't... Don't... I wasn't even considering, and now like I, my heart might get exploded. It might explode. It might happen. No, I, no, I agree though. Like, there's, there's a lot of potential here. Gerald gets uh, to ride um, Hiccup. <laughs> I'm sorry. Gets to ride who? He gets to ride Hiccup in the battle. Yep, I know what I said. <laughs> All right, ride so anyway. Gimpy. <laughs> Jeez, dude, we are Just on we shoulder. are on another level today. He's on the shoulders of Jay Baruchel running into battle. <laughs> Okay, so... And all he says um, is, hmm. <laughs> I'm just picturing Hiccup doing, like, a war scream as he goes there, like, ah! And again, the Witcher just goes, hmm. <laughs> I can't. I can't handle it. Okay. Oh. But do you, What? <sighs> what overall, if you had to sum up just your general thoughts, Amblin... And Netflix, do you see this being different than the Sony thing at all? What kind nah. of output are you predicting? Well, actually, okay, I'd say I said nah, but there's I think more because of the connection to Universal. I think there's more of a chance that this could be a bigger thing than the Sony thing. Not just like where it's like Sony could just be, ha, huh, yeah, we'll get part of your catalog. Blah, 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 blah. Whereas this can be more like, hey, this is our entrance into theme parks. This is our entrance into maybe getting considered for Gram for not Grammys, Oscars. For Grammys. Like <laughs> for Grammys. Um, uh, no, yeah, could West Side Story get considered for a Grammy? No, that's uh, uh, maybe actually. I don't know. The don't soundtrack know for Grammys the new Spielberg work, movie. I don't. I don't know how Grammys work. I'm gonna be straight with you. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know Grammys either. I don't, I don't know if anybody knows. No. 
Well, let's get into a area that Josh and I definitely feel like we know a little bit better. Comic book stuff. Um, it's nice to have comic book movies just in active production again. And set yes. photos are wonderful. Now, we're not going to go too deep into like specifics of what's happening in set photos or even going to be showing what's happening in set photos. And for me personally, I'm not going to be talking about specifics of a certain item that's shown up in certain set photos. But we'll talk about stuff that's been officially released in regards to the Flash movie. So while I was out of town, director Andy Muschietti was sharing small teases. Like he'd be showing extreme close-ups of various super suits that we'd be seeing in the Flash movie. Like uh, two weeks ago, we talked about Michael Keaton's Flash uh, Batman suit with the blood on it. Um... He also shared a close-up of the Flash suit, which I'm going, that looks awesome. But the one that was catching everybody's eyes was the one next to it here with uh, Supergirl's suit. And we've seen her now in set photos. So this is this is really accurate. And some people are freaking out going in the set photos, why doesn't she have a cape? You do realize most capes now are cg Mm-hmm. I'll give Zack Snyder credit on that. He was way ahead of the curve on that and just basically threw out shield, not shields, capes right off the bat with Man of Steel. And he didn't even have a practical cape for most of that. So he, he gets that. Um, I don't mind this. Now, the question that people are bringing up is, which Supergirl is this? Because the actress that they cast, uh, it's, I think it's either Sarah or Sasha Kaye. Not a well-known actress yet. I think this will be a big role for her. Uh, Hispanic actress does not bear a lot of resemblance to the typical Cara Zor-El. As someone's got a loud motorcycle in the background there. Thank you for that. (laughs) Then maybe one day I'll be that cool. (laughs) She doesn't bear a lot of resemblance to Cara Zor-El. But she does bear more than a little resemblance to... Uh, it's either Lara or Laura Lane Kent, which is in the Injustice universe, um, is the daughter of Lois Lane and Clark Kent. I wouldn't be surprised if that's the route we're taking. One, because the side-by-side is so spot-on. And two, I could see a Flashpoint and Injustice movie kind of being merged into one type of movie. Of I go back in time and mess everything up in doing so create a injustice type timeline for which for those that don't know injustice is basically if some of your favorite heroes were bad guys so the snyder movies um i really really dig the supergirl suit i think it's really really cool it clearly has connections to henry cavill superman somehow or else they would have just done a new super emblem and suit like the mesh the material looks exactly like henry cavill's do you see the Supergirl being connected to Henry Cavill's? Uh, do you think it's just going to be an Elseworlds? How do you see both the Supergirl suit and also the slight tease to the Flash suit that they also share? What, what are your thoughts, Josh? I, you know what? I'm going to take anything involving Superman with a grain of salt. You know what? I'm just going to watch. Uh, like, this is one of those few things that I, I'm going to choose to not necessarily have an opinion on is the super suit girl suit it's beautiful it looks cool it looks accurate I, your feelings on which super girl we're talking about i right on the train with you i'm standing on the tracks it's going to be fun um but yeah i, I don't know if i want to get into i've been trying to really hard especially with loki being out um to 
kind of stay away from skepticism, not skepticism, but like, I wonder if it's this. The um, Batman's going back for reshoots. The movie's yeah. in trouble. No. <laughs> yeah. No, and just because, especially with, like, Loki, which I have been watching, by the way. I don't know oh, if you've dude. been watching. Oh, dude. I love Loki. Just wow. Anyway. Wow. Um, wow. I need him to Can, say it. No, it's okay. Real quick. Real quick, Rabbit Trail. How good is Owen Wilson? Like, yeah, I'm not surprised. Good. Everyone else is I'm surprised. Not either, but, like. He's awesome. He's my favorite like, character by far. Holy cow. He is acting his butt off here. I just hope he's not the secret villain. Because, like, I think I'm, I'm tired of that and he's too good of a character please it's mobius bro it's gonna be he's gonna be a secret villain unfortunately um back to the suits there it is i had to get back to the pin um but yeah no i the, the suit looks cool flash suit looks cool i'm kind of especially just because of all the weird stuff backstage that this movie has had already i'm kind of just like Give me a trailer, and then then I'll talk about it. Give me a trailer, and I'll talk about it. Because I'm I'm just not sure about anything about this movie. I won't say too much again. We don't want to talk about um, set photos here, because that's mm-hmm. not officially released stuff by the studio. But I'll tell for Josh, because it's something that he himself said we would never get, and I told him we would. I'm not going to outright say it, but... I got really, really amped with some of these set photos when it looks like Barry Allen is wearing a specific thing that Josh said would never happen in a movie. Hmm. I mean, I say that a lot, so... uh. (laughs) Uh, I'll try and be more vague that only Josh will understand. Something that only Wayne Tech might be able to help him carry his suit around in. No way! Mm. All right. Cool beans. Cool, like, cool, I don't cool, even cool, care cool, cool, cool. after that. I'm like, this movie could be hot garbage, yeah. but this one specific, oddly specific thing that I've requested will be in this movie. It's totally. Been... The Spider-Man wings. Okay, I'm still pissed about that. What Josh is referring to, people, is I did a video years ago when Spider-Man Homecoming was coming out, a few days before the first trailer comes out, going, these are the things that I want to see in a rebooted Spider-Man. And in that video, I said I want him to have the spider wings that... St- the he originally had in the 60s comics written uh drawn by steve ditko but i actually cut it out of the final video going nah they'll never do that lo and behold in the stupid first trailer when he does this awesome thing off the washington monument what has he got wings i'm going um but to be fair josh would be the exact same way we could have a really crappy green lantern movie but atrocitus shows up at least once josh would be happy for life oh i would die a happy man like, Sinestro's cool and all, but give me Atrocitus, man. Like, oh, I'm scared. Oh, Sinestro's made me scared. No, Atrocitus shows up and you're scared, bro. Like, don't even... Anyway, it's, yeah, the cat. Continue. it's the cat. Carry, it's the cat. It's the cat. It's the cat. Carry on. Carry on. <laughs> now, this, I think Josh was probably more excited for. Yeah. Um, I also appreciate that more and more directors are just kind of aware of... Like, more and more directors are coming from the geeky sphere, so they understand how geeks and nerds that prey on every single detail, like us, think. And so David F. Sandberg is definitely one of those people, the director of the first Shazam and the director of Shazam Fury of the Gods. So he knew that this movie would be shooting outside and there would be paparazzi pictures. That's why we got that um, tease of the new Shazam suit from him. Now, 
clearly we're going to be shooting with the rest of the Shazamily sometime soon in the outdoors because he's released this official look of what everyone will look like in their new suits in a much more controlled, better environment than some crappy cell phone from 100 yards away. He releases this official look of what the Shazamily will look like and bro... We talked about it before with Shazam's individual suit, but we didn't have an issue with the original one. I thought it was fine. Even if it did look a little padded, I understood it, and it looked fine. These look awesome. And again, maybe it's just me. They look a lot, to me at least, like Man of Steel type suits in terms of like the texturing and the color. feels much more Man of Steel-ish than Shazam, which was... I don't know how to properly describe it, but not this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I The suits look great, and both Zachary, Zachary Snyder. Wow, I'm getting my names all mixed up today. We're just on a wow, roll dude. today. Zachary <laughs> Levi and David F. Sandberg. That's probably where I'm getting mixed up from. Both of them have said, despite what this picture may look like, these suits are not this muted in the movie. It's just the lighting that we currently took for this picture. So I'm going, oh, okay, cool, because... Oh, the one in the green. I forget what his name is. Yeah. Uh, he looks significantly darker in terms of his suit color, but he still looks fine. Minus the aesthetics of the suit, there's a huge change, but one that I'm massively in favor of. Josh, do you notice anything different this time around? <gasps> hey, looks like one of the actors is different. Not different. It's the same. <gasps> Josh, there are people that only listen to the audio of this. Let's describe to them what we're watching. <laughs> oh, yeah. I forget. Uh, no, because like one of the, the... Oh, geez. Mary. Yeah, she is old enough to play her her like actual Shazam self now. So yes. they just kind of like put her in there. You in favor of that? Or you kind of like the yeah. adult version of Shazam? No. Yeah. Why not? Let's go. What do you think like, of the I, suits? I have, no, I have no issue with any of this. Like the suits are so cool. Um, your comment as far as them looking a little different, like more like Man of Steel. Um, this might be a little jaded, but it almost seems like um, they were allowed to put more money into the design this time. Mm. Uh, you know what I mean? It almost feels like, and that's not to say, what I'm not saying is that the other Shazam suit looked cheap because it, it was the exact opposite. Yes, that it was an cool. expensive suit. Oh, absolutely. But these suits look like they've actually like a lot of effort has been put into them to make them look a certain way for a certain reason. Almost like we're we're going to treat Shazam as a not red-haired stepchild. It's going to just it's going Shazam's going to be a part of the universe now. A part um, of our not, world. Part of our world. Um, to quote <clears throat> the Black Adam at this point, I guess is what we call him. The power structure of the DC universe is going to change. I've and still, Shazam's going to be a part of it. <laughs> he will not be a part of this movie. I'm I'm still sticking to my guns on this one. That if anything, he'll be in an end credits, but that's it. I don't even think it'll be that yeah. much because I he might be in 
Shazam 3? I don't know. But eventually we have to have Black Adam versus Shazam. But I wouldn't be surprised if we get Black Adam versus Superman first. That seems to be the matchup that Henry Cavill... That, um, well, sure, Henry Cavill's interested in that. But The Rock is much more interested in. Yeah. Um, but you're right. Of This probably does have a bigger budget this time around. Because the first one really didn't. I thought it had yeah. a budget of like 60 or 70 million. Which people are expecting that to be a lot. But for a superhero movie, that's really isn't a lot now shazam the first one didn't make a ton at the box office it made a profit but it wasn't didn't light the world on fire but i still think it was a very very important movie for dc in terms of changing perception of the brand getting it away from the snyder image which if you like that that's awesome but those movies really were not for everyone they didn't have mass appeal they've got their diehards which is awesome if you're one of them I am not one of them, but I think Shazam catered to a much broader audience and had much better reception from the general audience that it started to change the trend combined this and Wonder Woman started to have people go, oh, there are a couple diamonds in the rough here and say what people will about Aquaman. It's still my favorite DC EU movie by far just because it feels the most outlandish and comic booky it knows exactly what it is but Shazam's a very close second I think those movies were instrumental in turning the tide and perception of oh there is a light at the end of this dark tunnel that is somebody else um I, <laughs> I don't want to point the finger because that's too mean but I, I I do tend to point the finger at this individual a lot um let's get away from that before I get yelled at by angry fans um i'm happy to see this get a sequel i think this will be awesome i love david f sandberg both as a filmmaker and just as a dude he just seems awesome i love his story of basically being a dude that started on youtube and is now making superhero movies i think that's super super cool also you gotta love your horror directors turn big time guys him and james wan i think that's always love to see that happen um on a scale of one to ten josh before we wrap this news topic up how amp would you say you are for Shazam Fury of the Gods? About a, about a seven, I think. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty amped. I'm, not, I'm still, like, wary just because we haven't got a trailer yet. Well, it's I not coming once... until 2023, so... Yeah, exactly. So, like, I'm not... I'm, I'm keeping that a steady seven. I think once that trailer comes out, I think we'll... That'll change. Uh, so, there's time, but I'm always down. I, like, especially with the performance of the first one, I'm down to see where we go with it. So, off the top of your head, top three most anticipated future DC projects. Like, any that are down in the pipe. The Batman, um, <laughs> being number one. Same, uh, same. Yeah, I mean, I figured anybody that listens to the podcast, that's a given. Um, kind of excited for Aquaman 2. Same, but just with yeah. some hesitancy, because of... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a certain... <laughs> heard that i'm i don't care we want to see uh, it but we don't want to heard it uh, um and I, i'm uh i want static shock so bad i can't, can't like i know it's not it's like, happening unquote, it's happening but it's like not like confirmed you know you know how this world is people are like yeah no, we're i'm sure i movie. don't know how this world yeah, is nightwing yeah. movie yeah so i just hope it doesn't get stuck in development hell so but yeah those, those are probably the three. So Batman, Aquaman 2, and uh, Static Shock. Now this one, 
I was initially very hesitant about when it like <laughs> saw the initial headline for it, just because there's a lot of places like misreporting what this is. And then when I did some more research, I just go, "Shut up and take all of my money, please." So what we are getting is a Lord of the Rings prequel, but not The Hobbit. So what this is is officially made by New Line Cinema, so the people that made the original Lord of the Rings trilogy, they're going to be doing an anime prequel about the origin of Helm's Deep. Supposedly there was like a king that ruled in this area that I'd imagine he basically held down this fortress while forces tried to attack from the outside and set up the legend that is Helm's Deep. And I'm going... Yes, yes, a thousand times, yes. Yeah. Obviously, like, Josh and I both are super protective of Lord of the Rings. Don't care for The Hobbit very much. But if you say, we're doing anything with Lord of the Rings, we come in with pitchforks not wanting to like it. Like, I'm still really not looking forward to the Amazon Lord of the Rings series just because I don't think they understand the material very well and are coming at it from the wrong aspect and the wrong intentions. This sounds really really cool just because it's so detached timeline wise from lord of the rings this is set so far in the past and also given that it's anime i think our brains will more be easier to differentiate it from the original lord of the rings and just be like okay this is while it's still set in the same world is so far in the past or it's i can separate it easier also Come on, man. I'm a red-blooded male. I just love the Battle of Helm's Deep just as much as the next guy. And spending more time there and just... Violence? Yes. Now, I'll say one more thing and I'll hand it over to Josh and just to see his reaction to this. Since it's an anime, what if we got the guy from Samurai Jack? That's that's, that's a cartoon that's not an anime. That style, though. And also, he wrote it, so he's got experience writing. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I, I, I was trying to pretend to be a pretentious anime guy. We both know that's not me. Um, <laughs> you are the more anime of the two of us, and even then, you're half-hearted at best. Yes, absolutely. Um, but You are I not a weeb. Like, yes. Uh, I was more thinking of... I don't know if you've seen any of the trailers or anything like that, but the Netflix um, Castlevania style animation for mm. for this Helm Steve. Very stylized. Um, very stylized, but like also clearly like its own thing. Um, but yeah, Helm Steve. I want more Helm Steve. Are you kidding me? One of the main maps I played on Left 4 Dead 2 was the Hel- Helm Steve map. One of the main maps that I played on World of Warcraft Frozen Throne was the the Helm's Deep map. So, I'm showing how big of a nerd I am. Anyway, um, I was half expecting you to say the classic Lord of the Rings Xbox and PlayStation games. Ooh, yeah, cause... they're cool, I guess. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, yeah, like there's like Helm's Deep is great. The whole battle is cool. The whole pacing of everything is cool. Seeing so the, I think the question I will have is is it a series or is this like a one and done like movie? I think it's a one and done movie. I think it's okay. a I think it's a one and done movie. 
Uh, which I'm totally okay with. That's fine. I, I, I'll take it either way, honestly. But, like, my expectation of quality will differ between show to movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, if, if, honestly, at this point, if we get something in de- as decent as quality as, like, I don't know. What's that Batman uh, ninja movie? Um, that was that was kind of bizarre. It was bizarre, but I loved the the, the style of it. I will um, say that, yeah, it was very unique style. Exactly. So like it's the sky's the limit here. I think is the big thing is they can just do whatever they want, and it's gonna be really stinking cool. I'm looking forward to this as a Lord of the Rings fan. Of I don't know my Middle Earth history, but theoretically. There should not be any Gandalf in this. Like, let's stop going to that well, please, of, like, we need to have at least one character that people recognize. If it's not Gandalf, it's got to be Sauron or Saruman. I'm going, you could just, you know, build up some new characters for us to like, and then you could probably kill them off more easily. Legolas is going to show up. Who? Legolas. Let's not <laughs> hobbit this. Let's not hobbit this. Evangeline Lilly shows up. Even worse, Bilbo just shows up, just strolls. He's just strolling in the background. He strolls like... <laughs> no, you've got Marion Pippin just smoking a pipe in the corner of the screen somewhere, just going, Hey! Why are we here? <laughs> or, or, like, but see, like, I think the fun thing you could do here, and because not all of... While Tolkien was very, like, very detailed, not all of his lore has been written. So what would be really cool, like, do little things, like have a hobbit show up or some, not even be a main character, be a side character or something. And, like, maybe he's he's a really, he loves brewing or something. And uh, at the end of the battle or of the, of the film, like, well, are you going to come, you know, on this adventure with us? He's like, you know what, no. I think I'm gonna go back home to the Shire and start start a, a bar or something, and I think I'll call it the Green Dragon. Like it's like little things like that would be really the fun. Prancing Pony, mm, the Green Dragon. So I think it's important for us as a podcast to acknowledge when we're wrong about something, even if we think we might still be right in the end. We still want to give credit where credit is due. We bagged on the first G.I. Joe Origins slash Snake Eyes movie, um, and I still think rightly so. I thought that was a bad trailer, and it was only 45 seconds. This trailer that just dropped a few days ago, this should have been your first trailer, guys. This G.I. Joe Origins slash Snake Eyes, whatever we want to call this, this was a much, much better trailer in terms of what's the story? Why should we care about this character? The only issue I had... uh, There's two random issues. The cool shot at the end where he's wearing the helmet and he drives off. I had the sneaking suspicion that that's the final shot of the movie. And he's (laughs) barely suited up. The other issue I had was... I think this trailer does a really good job of showing his training and his, his story of like where he comes from. And he meets this friend that he more or less saves the life of. The trailer does not do a good job of showing that's actually Storm Shadow. I saw that in a featurette that also got posted later that same day. I'm going, maybe you should have explained that better because, okay, if this movie is about Snake Eyes versus Storm Shadow and the once brotherhood, now rivalry, 
Mm-hmm. You should have opened with that. That's a great idea. If that's what this movie is about, then I've done a complete 180 and I'm interested in this movie. I still, ever since they announced this, I still am very much against the fact of how much of Henry Golding's face they're showing. But I at the same time understand because it's Henry Golding and he's such a hot commodity right now. You got to show, hey ladies, we've got this handsome guy. Look at his face. It's the Stephen Amell in Ninja Turtles case all over again. You've got this notoriously masked character, masked and silent character, but you got to show his face. I also was not expecting nearly as many G.I. Joe tie-ins as there are in this trailer of, here's Cobra, I'm going... Oh, so is he gonna? Is he already with the Joes by the time he's in this movie? Because I always assumed like he was with the Joes, and then he discovers about Cobra and everything else. Like, I still have issues with this trailer, and I still have a lot of question marks about this movie. But I thought this trailer was so significantly better than the first one that I thought it was only just to give credit where credit is due. Josh is still on the fence, however, I can tell by his facial expressions. Yeah, I. It was better it's a definitely a better trailer i'm with you on that that final shot wow really cool and like the visor goes down and it was like all right here we go and then he kind of takes off slowly on the bike and i was like oh that's the last shot of the sh- of the movie i guarantee you that that's the last shot of the movie um so i my other issue until i I, mean, I guess i'm also kind of floating some ideas story ideas around my head about how they could work here because maybe they're trying to retell some things here but i when i first saw it i had a huge problem with cobra being involved because it's i wanted a snake eye story and you're giving me a gi joe story starring snake eyes and i don't need that we already got that however this comes with your comment of I thought of what of you thinking that him uh, Snake Eyes being with the Joes is when he figured out who Cobra was or whatever you know you know what I mean. Um, what if if we're in the mood of rewriting some stuff, he uh, Cobra is the reason that Snake Eyes's master is dead, dies, or whatever, and so he joins the Joes to go after Cobra and then finds out that Storm Shadow is with that is with Cobra and so then you have a that rivalry means more. Okay. Uh, to me at least. Okay. And, and yeah, like yeah. just pull it but that's me pulling it out of my out of my butt. And honestly, I don't think that this movie has the balls to do anything like good storytelling. So uh, <laughs> it's not like we have two previous movies to tell us otherwise. Yay. I, I think it's me this is a lot like Transformers, except we've yep. been burned a lot less than Transformers. There's just two bad movies here as opposed to, what, five bad Transformers movies? But who knows? Transformers had Bumblebee, which we will still continue to sing that movie's praises. So maybe this is the Bumblebee to the G.I. Joe franchise that it so desperately needs. Because I know studios executives want this to do well so they can restart their G.I. Joe franchise. And I think long term, maybe it's just me. I still think they want that G.I. Joe Transformers crossover at some point no, because because studios want that money because if you've got studios contemplating, and I can't believe these words are coming out of my mouth, if you've got studios contemplating or at least 
teasing the notion of a Fast and Furious and Jurassic World crossover, we cannot rule anything out anymore, including good taste, because I don't want to see Dom race a raptor unless he gets eaten, and then the raptor starts piloting the charger. That sounds a lot more interesting to me, because no thank you. I don't need I'm to horrified. S- Hold on. I am horrified by two things in that when what you just said. One, that there that anyone would consider a Jurassic Park Fast and Furious series crossover. Two, piloting a charger. Yeah, I want to see a raptor driving a no. car. No, 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 no. You said piloting. <laughs> yeah, piloting can be interchangeable for driving. Oh, jeez, I'm sorry. <laughs> Apparently I'm allergic to that idea. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway. Uh, you don't got yeah. sneezes. You got family. Oh, stop. I just, honestly, I'm surprised that we've gotten to this point at five, Fast 9, which that comes out this weekend, doesn't it? Yep, and we were not going to have a discussion related to that somehow because I've not seen a single one besides Hobbs and Shaw. I Okay, well the first one's fine. I enjoy it. Were there And Tokyo Tokyo, guys, Tokyo Drift is cool. Guys, and let's all acknowledge that Fast and Furious is turning twenty. Like the first movie they are selling they're stealing D V D players. Like Jeez. I was eight when the first one came out. And now I was making... nine when the first one came out. Oh no! And Josh just immediately became that old man in in Last Crusade that chose the wrong cup and immediately just aged rapidly. <laughs> yes. I, Josh and I still very much have our doubts about this GI Joe movie just because yeah. we've been burned, not just burned, but burned hard. Because I'm sorry, those two GI Joe movies were so egregiously bad. I hated them. So except. For the cliffside fight, Josh, I know you're going to bring it okay, up in the second one. But like, also, one. like the one thing that I love, I did love that about them, and I never, and that to me, opened my eyes a little bit. Was I really liked Channing Tatum in as Duke? Yeah, and then they decided like, to kill him off, and they killed him off, which is really sad. But it opened my eyes. I was like, bro, maybe Channing Tatum isn't just like eye candy guy. And then he did Jupiter Ascending, and so that was. <sighs> <laughs> Uh, Jupiter ascending. Our merch is ascending. I, I don't know something something <laughs> no something no. ascending. Um, Wachowski merch matrix. Nope, nope. We just have merch. I'm trying to segue into our merch segment plug, but it's not working. Plug into the matrix. Plug in to where you can buy merch. I'm I'm just there gonna stop there, now. No, let's do that. Let's do that. Get plugged in. You need a T-shirt with the Uncharted logo? We got it. You need a cup with a like a like a mug for your coffee in the morning with an Uncharted logo? We got it, bro. Go check out the link in the description below. We have merch, bro. Go check it out. The more you guys uh, purchase, just buy. More you pick it up. The more designs we'll be able to do, and trust me, both Nathan and I have some hilarious designs. What you got, Nate? And now, because of this sponsor plug, you know, and knowing is half the battle. I bring it full circle. I'm flipping. No, I'm. Hey, uh, you're gonna have to finish the podcast because I can't. I can't do <laughs> the. Yeah, I'm done. Bye. Oh, you don't want to talk about this fun 
world that is what if scenarios we we, <laughs> we live go. our lives in what if scenarios <laughs> so yes we've been wanting to do this for a while we've got a really big one i don't know when we'll do it sometime when there's something star wars related because it is a star wars related what if is our big one in our back pocket that i think would be fascinating but today we're going to be talking about a marvel what if what if marvel never sold their film rights so for those that don't know and just oh. came into the Marvel train in like the in the Iron Man days, they're just like, "Oh, cool! Iron Man's always been popular." New. No. Um, in the nineties, oh buddy, not just Marvel but DC, oh, the comic dude. book industry was about to flatline, and so we need some proper context for this. Uh, bro, I actually did a ton of research on context. Right Dude, now. me too. I'm not. so excited. I, was like, I love it when Josh like the... does research. It's so un... <laughs> it's so unnatural. It is. It's so crazy it's for me to know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> but no, like, okay, so I don't know about you, but, like, the more and more research I did into, like, why they ended up having to go – why they ended up going bankrupt in, to begin with was, like, the more and more I was like, this is the company – in which there is a billion dollar movie franchise is 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 now in place of like what all right so back in we're talking early 90s you have a generation of comic book lovers that grew up in the 70s and 80s are who are now adults and collecting comic books and so collecting comic books becomes mainstream to the point like people are selling copies for like thousands of dollars like a ton of money and Marvel, and, you know, DC is a part of this as well, but it is, unfortunately, Marvel feeds into it way more, at least to what my, my research look, uh, told me, at least. Yes, so basically, um, what Marvel would do is people would be buying these comics like they would buy, back in the day, Beanie Babies. They saw them as investment, not entertainment. So a dude would buy like 10 copies of one comic and read one, store nine for later. Um, And comic book companies would be like, we're selling really well. But in terms of financials, you're not because you got one person. And that's not good for growing an audience. But also the thing that both Marvel and DC did this, but Marvel especially... They would do this thing where they would release a single issue, say it was Spider-Man number 500, because I have that one, Mm -hmm. um, and they would release like four or five holographic versions of it, and people would be like, oh, they're different somehow, so let's all buy those. Marvel was getting to the point that it was very, very gimmicky. Um, Here's where, I'm not going to put it on this time, but here's actually where I'm going to put the tinfoil hat on and blame DC for this, Um, actually, because... In the 90s, both Marvel and DC were were creatively bankrupt, I'll say that. And both companies were doing very, very desperate things to get people to come back. We had Batman getting his back broken by some new villain. But in the 90s, and specifically the early 90s, there was one event that basically everyone had to buy up that comic and basically like made everyone go out and buy this thinking it was going to be valuable someday the death of superman and i i will still point the finger of that was a incredibly damaging comic it's a cool story but one it commodified death in comics of people just go well we can kill him because we'll just bring him back 
Um, yeah. And it was a, well, crap. That sold really, really well. It created this sense of urgency of events in comics. So Marvel still, and DC still, does this to this day of the New 52 or Rebirth or Secret Invasion. Of They'll do these things every couple of years to go, we need a massive shakeup to boost sales. Mm-hmm. And so that was especially prevalent in the 90s, and especially with these variant covers, <laughs> Loki variant, of just... Yes. People going, well, I need to buy five of these covers because someday they're going to be worth valuable money. And they're not. Don't get me wrong. They're not. Comic books can still be an investment, but only select ones. Like, I have Tales of the Teen Titans number 44, first appearance of Nightwing from 1984. That's valued at about 40 to 50 bucks, depending on where it's at. So it's worth more than your average comic. But it's still not a massive investment unless you have a mint condition, Action Comics number one, first appearance of Superman in 1938, your comic's not going to be worth a whole lot. Yeah. But the industry was telling people that it would be worth a lot of money someday. And to the point where in 1993, in a Marvel like execs uh, board meeting, um, somebody warned them that warned Marvel like, Yo, like, if y'all keep this practice up, it's going to cause a massive bust in the industry. And, yep. like, you guys will never be able to sell comics ever again. And Marvel, like, uh, the the owner, uh, Ron Perlman, at the time, was kind of like, yeah, all right, cool. And then started selling Marvel stock at 40% more than what it was actually worth. So, yeah, when the bubble bust in, like, literally later that year... uh. Yeah, sales dropped by 70%. So, yeah, that did not end well. Like, no. I don't know. And that's the thing, too. And I, and I, I think for you and me, it's, hindsight is always twenty twenty. Like, how did you not see this? But, like, when you're racking up three, four, five times more than what you normally rake in, when your stock price at the peak of um, comic collecting is 36 plus dollars a like per stock. Yeah, like that's a big deal. After the bu- the bust, Marvel stock dropped to $2.50. Hmm. AMC. Yeah, like a lot. And like some of this stuff was so interesting of like the legal battles and so like in like from 96 to 98 at least that's what I have. Um, basically through legal battles and reorganizing the company, like Ron, Ron wanted to make some, just some decisions and the stockholders were like, no, no, that's going to affect the stock price too much. And Ron was like, cool, I'm going to file for bankruptcy and that way I can reorganize the company however I want. Um, and that's when a lot of stuff got sold and a lot of stuff got kind of put to the wayside. To Ron's credit, a lot of that was because he saw the future of like, hey, we need to make movies eventually, mm-hmm. and so like, so part of the whole bankruptcy was for him to start uh, Marvel Entertainment Studios. But still, yeah. So it our where we're gonna take the story from here and kind of mm-hmm. do our Back to the Future split timeline while also kind of paralleling the timeline that actually happened. Uh, we got to go to 1993 when we talked about uh, things started mm-hmm. to crash. 1993 is the first sale, is when Marvel sold the film rights to Fox for X Men. I think it was both X Men and Fantastic Four, but in my research, it just said 
um, X-Men at the time. So maybe the Fantastic yeah. Four deal came separate or it was all in one and the article that I was reading didn't say it. Um, but 93 is when um, Fox acquires the X-Men from Marvel. So that would later go on to be 2000's X-Men, which is where we're going to have our first parallel between the real world and this interesting what if, so to speak, of Josh... In your research, did you happen to find out um, one very important person that worked on the first X-Men movie as his first film credit ever? Um, well, it's not. Is it Hugh? I think it's Hugh. No. Hugh Jackman. No. Not who I'm talking about. This person is who? an off-camera off personality. I actually don't know. In his first producing credit ever, Kevin frickin' Feige was a producer no on the original X-Men. So Brian Singer, who would later go on to direct Superman Returns and be revealed as an overall scumbag, um, did not want to base the movie on the comics, really, due to the perceived uh, reception of Batman and Robin, which is why the suits don't bear any resemblance to the comics or anything else, why the characters don't really act overly comic booky. However, our Lord and Savior Kevin Feige of the MCU, who would one day go to the MCU, but at this time was just a producer, behind, behind Brian Singer's back would feed X-Men comics to Hugh Jackman, just going, this guy... Even though he's not getting the credit yet, this guy knows what's up. Also, quick side tangent about um, Kevin Feige that we can talk about with Spider-Man later. He's running the MCU later in years past, and they don't own Spider-Man yet. We don't have the um, Tom Holland agreement. After Amazing Spider-Man 2 comes out, he emails Amy Pascal saying all the things that they could have fixed with the movie, and it's all the fan complaints. Like, he saw this movie before it came out, he's just like... The parents' storyline doesn't go anywhere. This doesn't really make it feel like a Spider-Man story. And this was him as a fan responding to Amy That's Pascal crazy. just going, this is how you should think about fixing your movie and it might be better for you. There's no financial incentive for him to do this. He's just that cool in terms of caring about the characters. But getting back to the Fox thing, hmm. that was the first major domino to fall because... I think we often don't talk about how important that first X-Men movie was to the superhero yeah. genre because Batman and Robin took a big old stake and stabbed the superhero genre right in the heart of... I nowadays reflect on Batman and Robin, and I don't think of it nearly as bad as people make it out to be. I just think it's one of the most misunderstood comic book movies of all time in terms of what it was trying to accomplish. I think it does, but what people wanted it to accomplish is absolutely not what it did. Um, but... X-Men comes along a few years later. If Marvel never sells to Fox, the superhero genre very well might have been dead after Batman and Robin, at least for now. Maybe we'd get like one or two every yeah. couple of years, but you got to think it's... at that time, we got a Batman movie every three to four years and a Superman movie every seven to eight years, maybe, if at all. We were still kind of having discussions about Nicolas Cage's Superman being in it at some point for Superman Lives, but... If Marvel doesn't sell the Fox, not only do we not have the MCU, we probably don't have superhero movies, period. Or at least not to the to the scope of what we have. I think the not fun answer to our question is 
Marvel goes out of business, stops making, it is never becomes an entertain it never becomes an entertainment studio. The comics never become what they are today. I mean, because while they're not all good, there's some great storylines from late '90s, early 2000s. Like it's Marvel still swung some big stuff, but if they never sold those rights, the not fun answer here is Marvel doesn't exist. So, like you said. X-Men doesn't exist. Sam Raimi's Spider-Man doesn't exist. Which we'll get into in a bit here. Yes. And to me, I will go as far to say, once we get there, the Dark Knight trilogy doesn't exist. Hmm. Let's see. I'm trying to follow. uh, Because I I feel pretty confident saying, without the MCU, there's no DCEU. I don't think we get Man of Steel. I don't think we get Justice League. Some people, I'm sure, are happy about that if it's the theatrical version. Um, I know for a fact if we don't have the MCU, we don't have Tom Cruise's Mummy movie because Universal's not scrambling to make a dark universe. So, Well, but like I think that's what's important here too, though, is that the idea – like Marvel kind of started this idea of having movies in a – shared universe that you popularized could have, it at least you know, at least popularized it and like on and did it to as a scale as to which they they did um and even say what you want about the fox x-men movies they're all tied together vaguely at times but tied together in certain ways and that kind of thing really hadn't been done to that scale before then mm-hmm. now i think also it's important to note as we will talk about more of the Spider-Man stuff, Spider-Man, that gets sold in 1998. And Avia Rod is the head of Marvel Entertainment at the time. And Avi has been attached to Spider-Man ever since. Any Spider-Man movie that's been made into the Spider-Verse all the way to Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 1, they've all had Avia Rod. I am not a fan of this man. A lot nope. of the issues that have come up in the Spider-Man franchise over time can be traced back to Arad somehow of wanting to shoehorn in Venom into Spider-Man 3. It was an Arad decision. Insisting on putting Iron Man in the Spider-Man movies in the MCU. That's an Arad decision. It's interesting to note that when he was first brought on as the head of Marvel Entertainment, um, which would be the film division at the time, so the Sony Spider-Man movies, um, he came from a toy background. I'm going... That explains a lot, because of course he does. Um, yeah, he was the former head of Toy Biz, and he became the head of Marvel Films, and he's still there. I'm going, no one else is still there from the beginning, except Kevin Feige, but he started at a different position and worked his way up the ladder, whereas Avi Arad is still choke-holding Spider-Man, and I'm not the biggest fan of it. Um, yeah. But there's a lot... Of, to unpack with the Spider-Man thing. Uh, if, if Marvel never sells Spider-Man, I won't say that we never get Spider-Man movies because that as a commodity was still very, very hot. No matter what happens, Spider-Man is always a must-want commodity for somebody because there were Spider-Man TV shows. Um, not very good ones, but there was live-action Spider-Man properties before they made a movie. Um James Cameron, at one point, almost made a Spider-Man movie with Leonardo DiCaprio. That's where, begrudgingly, you get the 
um, organic web shooting out of the wrist in the Raimi movies, that actually came from James Cameron, which I still to this day think is a stupid and really, really disgusting solution. Because, you know, it's not like Spider-Man actually ran out of webs in the comics like he does several times. Yeah. Uh, um, but I think if X-Men, like, really got people to believe that superhero movies could be good again... Then the Sam Raimi Spider-Man trilogy, yes, I'll include all three of them because the third one was still wildly successful and was the highest grossing Spider-Man movie until Homecoming came out. Those also continue to solidify to people, this is what the superhero genre can do. There's still a lot of people, I won't say I'm one of them, I still love it, but there's still a lot of people that hold Spider-Man 2 as one of the greatest superhero movies of all time. And one of the greatest action movies of all time. So without Marvel selling to Sony, we don't get that. We don't get any Spider-Man movies, at least from Sony. And I know some people are going, yay, that means no Sony Spider-Man movies. I'm like, I know I'm guilty of this too. We have our issues with how Sony treats Spider-Man. But they do just as much good as they do bad. They do very bad, but they do very good. For every Spider-Man 3, you've got a Spider-Man 2. For every Amazing Spider-Man 2, you've got a Spider-Man Homecoming. There, Nobody bats a thousand. No one's perfect. But I think Sony, when it inherited the property or bought the property, they were good stewards of it at first until you get some people meddling it. with. Once it made a lot of money, then you get more hands in the cookie jar, so to speak. Yeah. It's hard not for that to not happen. And I think... Uh, that was as much as we hate Mr. Arvey. He's the reason X-Men, ha- in a lot of ways, X-Men and, and Spider-Man movies happen. He's the reason, like, he's like, guys, like, these can make a lot of money. Why are we just ignoring these properties? Yes, I know I happen to own some of them, but that's not the point. I <laughs> I know that these things can make money. And while I agree, he needs to like, get out of here, dude. Go away. Um, at the same time, much like us kind of almost half-praising Marvel for selling rights, it's a very 2020 in that, yes, thank you, Marvel, for selling rights because we get all of this all, all really cool stuff, and that built all of It's like a great story. So now that you have all your rights together now, and we can tell all these great stories in this giant shared universe yay but like it's not like the best marvel put themselves in this situation in a lot of ways and so like unfortunately terrible people like rv had to be like yo we can make a lot of money with this stuff like let's do it. or sorry let me rephrase i can make a lot of toys with this stuff mm. but here's the thing yeah people wish they're like well Man, I wish Marvel had all their characters in one universe. If Marvel doesn't sell the rights to Fantastic Four or X-Men or sell the rights to Spider-Man, we don't have the MCU because they couldn't afford anything. Them selling the rights to these characters, it was rough for them to do. But financially, it was the only thing that could keep them above water, at least until they figured out a better solution, which is when you get to 2005, when they start working on Iron Man, which 
Cast your mind back then. Diehard comic book fans knew who Iron Man and Captain America was, but the general population didn't know who it was. And so they actually had to go to Merrill Lynch and ask for a loan saying, hey, we're going to make some movies, but we don't have any money. Could you give us a loan? And the bank, Marvel was so broke that for collateral, the bank said, if we don't get our money back, we're taking your characters. So if Iron Man does not work and isn't a success, Merrill Lynch owns Iron Man, owns Captain America. It's so weird. But here's the thing. We'll get into it now of if Marvel doesn't sell, I'd imagine they go into bankruptcy not too far off, which means someone's probably scooping up to save them. I'm going to say Sony doesn't buy Marvel. Fox doesn't buy Marvel. And here's why. Because they had the chance, both of them had the chance to buy more and chose not to. Sony was offered Iron Man, was offered Captain America, was offered Hulk. And they're like, no one knows who those people are. We just want Spider-Man. They're like, we'll, we'll, we'll throw them in for free. Take them, please. Make movies off of them. And Sony's like, no, the only one that's financially viable is Spider-Man. We have the benefit of hindsight to know how stupid of a decision that was. But I don't see Sony being the one that buys Marvel if they go out of business. Now, obviously, yeah. now we're in complete hypotheticals of, well, if Marvel doesn't sell, then they don't have money and they file for bankruptcy. And some big brother has to swoop in. Following on that trajectory, Josh, is there a studio that comes to mind that you could see at that time that would have bought Marvel? At that time, I really don't know because – and looking at the big picture here, right, um, up to this point uh, before X-Men and all that happens, Marvel's only made Howard the Duck and Blade are the only two Marvel pro- properties. Blade hasn't From even come I mean, out yet. That's 98. That's true. That's true. And, like, in the big thing about Blade 2 was uh, as well was – that I think they they made a profit, but they because of how the the, the rights deal was, they only made like twenty five thousand off of that off of that movie, mm. which is crazy. So like they couldn't make money. So that's that's why they they asked for that loan so that they could make mo- movies within their own studio, so that they could actually turn a profit. Um, but as far as you know, I'm trying to think of the big dogs at the time. Um, I mean, the fact of the matter is Marvel was an absolute liability at that point in time. It was hemorrhaging money. It, it had colossal debt for no reason. And for no real reason, it acquired Toy Biz, you know, as a company. Like, there's no real reason to do that. Unless you're, of course, you're making plans for the future, blah, 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 blah. But... Up until that point, and through you know ninety six, ninety eight, whatever, there's not a lot of reason, like you said, to buy Marvel. Other than maybe we'll keep this in our back pocket, maybe. In which case, I think Ron, Ron Perelman bought Marvel for like something close to like three hundred million or something way back. Yeah, in the it day. was not very expensive acquisition. Yeah, not at all. And so I think if in ninety six, ninety seven, ninety eight. If somebody would have bought them, it would have been 
maybe half that, if not a fourth of that. So just to make it like, like you said, like uh, Marvel was like, just take these characters for free, like do something with them. We want their stories to be told, blah, blah, blah. Maybe Universal, if Sony and Fox passed. I hadn't maybe thought about them. That's a good one. Um, I don't Disney know. At the to- Disney at the time would have had no interest in it. I completely agree. I'm so glad you brought that up because, yes, Disney owns Marvel now. And people will be like, well, Disney owns everything. Not then they didn't. Acquiring assets is very much a Bob Iger thing. He's the outgoing CEO. Bob Chapek, the idiot, is who runs it now. But back then, in the mid, all the 90s, um, it was Michael Eisner, who was not an acquisition guy. He was a stabilizing slash growth guy. Because if I remember my Disney history correctly, he followed Ron Miller, who up until Bob Chapek was often regarded as Disney's worst CEO. And I don't blame Ron Miller at all for that. He was just not qualified at all for the position. He was Walt's son-in-law. Um Maybe it wasn't Ron Miller. No, it was... I feel like it was Roy. It was somebody that wasn't qualified in the... And Disney in the 80s was just doing a bad job. So they bring in Michael Eisner, who steadied the ship and improved the company significantly before he soured relations with Pixar that had to be mended by Bob Iger. That's a tangent for another day. Eisner was not an acquisitions guy. No, not at However, all. there is a key aspect of... Eisner's tenure that we could look at for well maybe they could have had some interest back then of Eisner really wanted and focused on the parks heavily Um, Mm. under him Disney World uh, received a massive expansion with an emphasis on trying to get a younger demographic not so much kid but teenagers and young adults teenagers and young adults that read comic books but again this could be where that tricky universal thing comes in to play you brought up universal universal at this point if we're talking 95 to 99 is already deep in construction on at the time universal escape which would be later named islands of adventure and one of the biggest marketing blunders of all time which just so happens to have a marvel themed land um, you were spot on with the Universal thing, and I'm so glad you brought that up. I didn't even think about it, so kudos to Josh. Um, there's I got been some a, good calls sometimes. In the theme park bubble, there's often a lot of questions of why can Disney have Marvel-related stuff in Disneyland but not in Disney World? It's because there's this really complicated contract where Universal owns the Marvel license for theme parks east of the Mississippi, and it's really, really weird and complicated. Universal probably could have bought Marvel and it could have worked. I don't know financially if they are as big as they were now. I don't think Viacom owned them yet. No, um, yet. not that I remember. Maybe Comcast did? So, I don't know if Universal was as big of an entity in the late 90s as it was now. Like Universal is huge. But, well, here's where I can go into who I think would have bought Marvel. Mm-hmm. Islands of Adventure at Universal was not supposed to be a Marvel land. It was supposed to be a DC superheroes land before negotiations fell through because Warner Brothers couldn't split profit by 1%. It's super weird and complicated. I think, and this is me really putting on a tinfoil hat here, 
if Marvel never sells its film rights by 2021 in our alternate timeline now, we have an Avengers Justice League movie because nowadays there's antitrust laws of companies cannot be a big monopoly. However, at the position that Marvel was in in the late 90s, acquiring another comic book company, Warner Brothers acquiring another comic book company, I don't think it would be viewed as a monopoly because that asset was so minuscule. It wouldn't mm-hmm. have valued, been very valuable. So they're going, okay, we just had a colossal failure with Batman and Robin. What if we try the other side of the comic book spectrum? What if we get some Marvel? We've had success with Tim Burton's Batman. We've had success with Christopher Reeve's Superman. What if we can try our hand with some other superhero characters? We'll be known as the superhero company now. I mean, that's not too far off. I mean, for me growing up in the early, early 2000s, I remember WB Kids or whatever the show, the program was every Saturday had like X-Men cartoons and stuff like that. So... I guess now thinking about it, it really wouldn't be that far off if Warner Brothers purchased them, picked them up, and just became the superhero company. Because then, I mean, like you said, like at that time, what would Marvel have been worth? I mean, if at the very least, sorry, let me rephrase, at the most, I wouldn't be surprised. Half a bill? Half a billion at most? Dude, I was going to go barely above 100 million. Uh, I won't go that cheap, but I, I think because of the amount of debt that'll come with it, um, they wouldn't be. I don't think a lot of companies would be willing to to settle more than two, because mm. it's just it's. The the fact is, Ron Ron bought it for like half a bill, so after all this stuff, there's no way it's worth the same amount, but having a company like Warner Brothers that already owns DC be like, hmm, 200 million, I can get the other side of the fence and all these characters? Sounds like a plan to me. Like, that's, to me, like, yeah, that sounds like easy business. Yeah, it, it seems like a, such a no-brainer. It's just such a weird thing to think that I know some people want and think it's possible to do an Avengers Justice League crossover. I'm like, that's not possible. That's like coke and pepsi shaking hands and going yeah we'll share the same billboard why not like it's just not possible they're competitors and to think that they're i firmly believe there was a absolutely a chance that they could have been under the same banner and i know some people are like well that's a monopoly not at that point nowadays if disney bought i know some people are just like disney might buy uh dc in this warner discovery merge i'm going they, they can't do that. One, because Discovery, I highly doubt, would sell. And two, I don't think the FCC would let them because there are rules in place that certain companies can't take other companies or else that creates a monopoly. Back then, that I don't think would have been a monopoly because Marvel no. was such a broke asset. Like, now you can't do it because both Marvel and DC are huge commodities. Like, there's there might still be a crossover someday, but that would have to be the two companies meeting in the aisle and shaking hands it's not a they'll be under the same banner like a who frame roger rabbit could not be made today because of the studio politics that would have to go into that yeah and also just warner brothers 
is never out of the conversation in terms of being one of the biggest studios out there. It's always Disney will be one of the top names. Warner Brothers will be one of the top names and Universal will be one of the top names. So I think given the circumstances around the companies at the time, we can rule out Disney. Disney was not in an acquisition mode. However, if we wait a few years and go around 2003, 2004-ish, I think Disney might because around this time, Michael Eisner starts burning some important bridges with a little-known company called Pixar. Mm. And Disney almost lost Pixar forever as a partner before uh, Bob Iger, in one of his first decisions as CEO and one of his smartest decisions, Disney bought Pixar. I think... um, around that time when Eisner's still in charge, if he's still butthurt at Pixar for things that are super, super petty, he might just go out and say, we don't need you anymore. We've got this instead. We don't need your animated movies. We'll make our own animated movies. And I could absolutely see them making animated, maybe in the style of like a Treasure Planet or Atlantis, because that was very, very popular around this time that Marvel is selling stuff to do these type of movies animated which i'm sure not a lot of people would want nowadays but back then you take your superhero movies when you can get them yeah absolutely it was and it wasn't like and even for i'll go as far as to say in general you take them when you can get them because there wasn't like uh animated movies for dc were a thing yet like it's not like nope you had mask of the phantasm and christmas 92 that was it that's it, and it's hard to... Christmas 93, actually. It's hard to imagine, but, like, I'm trying to not get all hyperbole and be like, or hyper hyperbole, I always miss You say hyperbole? You've said hyperbole before. It's always just I bizarre. It's so weird. Hyperbole and be like, there you go. without Marvel... There is no comic book movie. There's no craze. There's nothing. But, like, in a lot of ways, Marvel selling the rights was the catalyst for a lot of things. And, excuse me, it's kind of crazy that it got to that to that point. Yeah, like, I know people are, are clamoring for the day that Spider-Man will be back under Marvel's banner now that they've required, uh, reacquired the rights to Fantastic Four and X-Men from Fox, going, I get that. But the war analogy is probably not right, but sometimes in a war you have to lose to win. Like this is, in the words of Then, in the words of Bane, actually, this is a necessary evil. This sucks right now. But in the end game, so to speak, this will be a victory for you. If you don't sell these assets now, you don't get this further down the road and obviously no one involved could have had the hindsight for this you've got a lowly production assistant slash producer in kevin feige on the first x-men movie who i'm sure even in his wildest dreams could have possibly imagined the future that he would create with marvel but that does not happen if these things are sold yes it sucks and i wish spider-man did belong to Marvel properly, or that the X-Men belong to the MCU properly sooner than they will. However, if they're never sold off, we don't get any movies, potentially. We don't. We probably will still get a Spider-Man movie, but it will look drastically different. And even then, if we never sell the rights, 
we get some amazing movies if if we don't if they don't sell the rights we miss out on some great movies we miss out on spider-man 2 we miss out on into the spider-verse deadpool logan days of future past blade because we haven't talked about but blade also was one of those characters that got Mm -hmm. sold um we're we get so focused on if it's marvel it's gotta be mcu like that doesn't always have to be the case here and this is a sacrifice that needed to be made for survival's sake Mm -hmm. but long term it was the best thing that could have happened to them it's like a breakup in the long term it's the best possible thing that could have happened yeah I mean, and that's what I think. There were people in the company when they originally filed for, for bankruptcy back in 98, 98 that were like, we should be making movies, blah, 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 blah. But that could easily be them just being like, well, hindsight 2020, that's what, you know, I was trying to restructure the company to do that, you know, for Marvel Entertainment Series. Blah, 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 blah. Well, it's just like. <sighs> also, like, back in, at that point in time, adaptations of source material was not what it is today like say what you will about marvel movies or dc movies they for the most part treat their source material with respect it's yeah. long past the days of masters of the universe or super mario brothers like we'll take elements of it but we'll kind of be condescending to the people that read them like i think at that point in time we would have had comic book movies that would have treated its audience like children, I think. They'd be like, well, oh, kids read comic books, so let's just make these for kids. Whether that would be animated or just overall tone would be very, oh, shucks. Let's zap, bam, pow, because I don't know how in touch these guys would have been to realize. Because at that time, there was a lot of bad adaptations, Street Fighter. Um and I feel like it might have got lumped into that. There needed to be a maturation process. Again, it comes back to that X-Men movie of we know what we know about Brian Singer now, which kind of makes his X-Men movies a little problematic. But um, without that X-Men or without Sam Raimi's Spider-Man being handled by mature people and, for lack of a better term, getting away from the comic bookiness allowed us to eventually come back to it at a later date when we're more ready for it. That first X-Men is not very comic booky, but it kind of needed to be in that moment so people don't immediately assume it's just another Batman and Robin. And then we get Spider-Man by Sam Raimi, which is absolutely more comic booky slash Power Rangers. But still somewhat in our world and then we can kind of go off of that later yeah it's and i think that's why i personally and i'm gonna touch on loki a little bit here is or really phase what we're what are we at phase five phase four, four we're still in four 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 um i'm super excited for phase four because at the end originally when Endgame happened i was like well now what now what are we gonna do and I, like, I don't feel like I was alone in this thought that Marvel was just going to be done and nothing ever was going to be as good as Endgame. And now, all of a sudden, Kevin Feige is basically sitting there like, <laughs> we got him now. This time is where to the go fun begins. Full, yeah, time to go full comic book on him. And it, to me, I think it's going to work. I'm super excited for the future because Kevin in some ways, has played the long con. Yes. He's, he's it, waited. He's, yes. he's a patient guy. 
Which he is, is. He was like, we're not going to give the fans exactly what they want right off the bat because they won't come back if they, if we do that. And you know what? Maybe, oh, connecting dots. Maybe he saw what happened with Marvel, with the collector's boom and stuff like that and was like, maybe giving the fans what they want right off the bat is not always the answer. Boom. There's got to be a better way. Which and guess what, guys? And that appears so. Which is where uh, two things. He's always played the long game, and I think that's why the MCU has worked so well. Of you'll get things that mm-hmm. like Avengers Assemble. That moment is so cool because that was finally paid off after it had been teased for so long. Here's where the tinfoil hat comes in. I think Kevin Feige's smart with this long game of it might be how he's been approaching Spider-Man in the MCU going. We're trying to get as close to Spider-Man as we can within Sony's final say-so because Sony has final say because technically all the MCU Spider-Man movies are Sony movies, not Marvel movies. It's complicated, but I think he's playing the long game, especially on Spider-Man, to go, all you have to do, Sony, is get bought out by somebody else or decide to sell or anything, and we immediately get it back. I think he's just being uber patient with Spider-Man. That's why, as much as we've been complaining about at times of just like, where's Uncle Ben? Where's this? Where's this? He's really taking the slow burn. One, because he understands that Spider-Man is such a prized possession for Marvel. But two, he understands, if I just wait this out, we may have this wholesale and it might fully belong to us. And then they can tell the stories that he wants to tell. And go as hard in the paint as he wants to go, without like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Yeah, boy. But no, yeah, it's, uh, and I think we've said it several times today. Without Marvel sell, going bankrupt and having to sell rights, we don't have. I'm gonna go ahead and say it. We won't have action movies like we do today. We won't have certain styles of storytelling that we do today. The, the style of a, a hero's story was really only told by Star Wars until you got well Joseph books. Campbell, but yeah, but you know you know what I mean. Is so it hindsight is twenty twenty, man. It's it's easy to say like, man, they were the smartest people. I think in the we room. might need to change that that phrase and say hindsight is twenty twenty one because. <laughs> We want nothing associated with 2020. So anyway, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, it's it's easy to sit here and, and be like, yeah, they were they they made the smartest decision, but survival is always the smartest decision. Yeah, I, I want to make it clear, they them as a co- as a company put themselves in that position, and the they're Marvel just lo- they're lucky to still yeah. They're lucky to be around at this right now. Yes. Well, what do you guys think? In this hypothetical world that we've created, that there is... Marvel didn't sell their film rights. What kind of movie world are we looking at? Endgame would clearly not be the number one movie of all time. What's the landscape looking like for the modern movie? Do you think it's drastically different? Do you think it barely changes at all? Let us know in the comments below where it was I came from, you guys. And as always, if you like what you hear and you want to hear more, subscribe to us on whatever audio platform you're listening to us on, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or YouTube. And if you haven't already, subscribe to us on YouTube. 
uh, I'm going to throw this out there. We have a new goal by the end of 2021. Help us get to 500 subscribers. We're getting, we're getting pretty close. We're at uh, 445 right now. So help us get over that threshold because you love us. Uh, and as always, <laughs> stay sharp, movie guys and gals.